I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Uh, well, I'm fucking so excited for this conversation for several different reasons. Number one, I'm really vibing on these Wednesday recordings that we've been releasing where we're talking to like folks in the, in the world of health, whether that be healthcare professionals, people who work, work in health sciences in some manner. I like that you say vibing now. That's, it yeah. feels cool and hip and I'm, I'm all... I'm, I'm into I'm it. Vibing. Are you I'm, simping on me right now, Brad? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a simp. <laughs> Are you a simp pup? Yeah. Uh, right, fam. Taylor, Taylor, Taylor doesn't know how to use simp nope, properly. Nope. Uh, <laughs> such a dad. Uh, uh, but yeah, I'm really, I'm really digging these Wednesday episodes. Down and the kids. Um, not too long ago on my other podcast, Turn Me On Podcast, which uh, if you haven't been listening to, get your life. Uh, my wife and I had the the absolute pleasure of sitting down and having a conversation with Jake Ernst. Um, who is with us today, res- registered social worker and psychotherapist. Um, he is the clinical director of Straight Up Health and hosts his own podcast, This Isn't Therapy, with Simon Pallock. Jake. With Simon so Powell. S- Simon, Simon Powell. Simon Cowell. I Simon mean. Cowell is, <laughs> yeah, is the host. <laughs> Jake and Simon Are Cowell. you like the Randy between the two of you? <laughs> yeah. That's oh, going to be a no for me, dog. Excuse me. No, I'm the Paula. I'm the... <laughs> yeah. Hells yeah. Uh, Jake, I, look, I, I mean, I don't know where this conversation is going to go. I think I think specifically, like I told Lauren, who fucking, who cares? We'll just let it roll. Um, but... One thing that I actually do want to bring bring up is because I think when we talked last time, I didn't realize that you were a psychotherapist. Um, I was kind of, uh, I knew you were a social worker. But um, this is a conversation that I just recently had with my girlfriend. I never knew that there was actually like uh, qu- quite a significant difference between psychotherapist and psychologist. Yes. And, yeah. and it's one of those like, one of those weird things where you hear words mm. and your brain just kind of like... I would use those interchangeably. Yeah, yeah. They're like, like synonymous to totally, me. Totally. Yeah. I probably would too. Yeah. And so, um, so she, she tried her best to give me this sort of like explanation as to what set them apart. But I think this would be a great opportunity right now because I'm sure there's other listeners out there who also didn't realize there was a big difference. Uh, yeah. Jake, why don't you give me a, a give us all a, a rundown on what is the difference between a psychologist and a, and a psychotherapist? Well, you know what? Um, I feel like language is important, of course, but I think like the most important uh, difference is the fact that one of them has a PhD, so one of them is a doctor, a psychologist, and then a psychotherapist. Um, so I don't have a doctorate, but a psychotherapist uh, just provides psychotherapy. So doctors of psychology, um, uh, psychologists, will provide a diagnosis and will also um, do uh, therapy as well. 
And so psychotherapists just provide psychotherapy. That would be the main ah, decision. Okay. How, how does a psychotherapist Ooh. differ or is it the same as a registered counseling therapist? It's simply just a different profession. Um, we all we all practice under the Controlled Act of Psychotherapy in Canada. Um, so we're all able to deliver psychotherapy. And that includes doctors, nurses, psychologists, social workers, psychotherapists, all that good stuff. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. my therapist is a reg registered counseling therapist, mm -hmm. but I always wanted, because um, seeing her is my only experience with therapy. So I always, I always wonder what, seeing different people under different professions that would somebody would call their therapist um like how mm. that experience would differ so yeah. so so would it be that if you don't if you don't necessarily need a or you're not like in search of a diagnosis then you you would see a psychotherapist because seeing a psychologist because that that would just be like well why see a psychologist because i'm not i'm not in search of a diagnosis of something yeah, I would say that it's important to separate, I guess, those two, right? Uh, getting a label for what's going on is different than actually, you know, solving or exploring or healing right. from what's going on. Mm, right. right. And so right. those would be the two distinctions, I guess. And um, uh, yeah, so doctors are provide the labels are the ones that diagnose. So. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then a psychiatrist, they can <clears throat> prescribe medication, right? Like that's yes. a diff differentiator yeah. yes, between exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Cool. And, and so I guess the, the, main, the other difference too is that this is just uh, in the Canadian context. Right. In the United States, um, licensed mental health counselors, social workers, um, psychotherapists, they can actually assign diagnosis in the States. Oh, um, but cool. due to our, due to our insurance, we're not able to do that in Canada. Interesting. Jake, what was your, uh, I mean, what was your orange origin story? Like how, what, 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 what was the, what was the catalyst to, to kind of push you forward into this line of work and, and, and this, this study? Oh, wow. Just asking just the, the biggest question right <laughs> off the jump. Eh? Jeez. Um, I would, I, you know, I, it's funny. I think I always sort of say uh, one of the, one of the worst questions you can ask a, a therapist is how are you feeling? Yeah, um, right, right. And how are you doing? Because they'll tell you. <laughs> and and uh, if, if you want a very service level answer, you can ask anyone, how are you doing? How, how are things going? And they'll kind of like, you know, yeah, things are fine. Yeah, things things are, good. are good. Yeah, but you know, I'm because you asked the question or an iteration of it. I'm going to tell you. Um, do. You know, I uh, so you know, growing up, I, I had my fair share of uh, uh, you know life's challenges. I would say I was uh, at a really young age. I realized that I was gay, and I realized mm -hmm. that I um, was different because I also grew up in a small town, and not a lot of other um, kids in that small town were talking about that. So mm -hmm. it, it just it. And it forced me into a lot of uh, introspection and a lot of time alone to think about, you know, who am I and what's going on for me, all that kind of stuff. And then um, on top of that, in grade nine, my dad passed away. Mm -hmm. And so dealing with loss, like kind of at a really early age, like really does sort of force you to like confront a lot of important mm -hmm. issues in your life. And so I would say that my, my high school years, although quite easy um, as a closeted kind of gay kid, but I, I feel like as I left that town, I actually started to figure out who I was. And I, what I figured out was that I really like helping people. Um, and so that kind of led me into therapy and social work and the helping profession. Mm, it, doesn't that sound like a superhero origin story? Yeah, it does. Oh, you know, like, like it is. Like, I mean, hey, I'm not, I'm not, I, it is though. It fucking is. It's like, it's the superhero experiences the trauma early age, whether that trauma be, you know, a, yeah. some sort of struggle. Right. And then, and then there's two paths. You got the path that Batman takes where he goes and trains to be a ninja. And then you got the path that like 
you know, the scarecrow takes and he puts <laughs> spooky bags on people's heads right. and really fucking ruins Well, the hero is the hero's journey and then you return. Yeah. And then yeah. you return. I don't know if you ever went back to your to where you grew up, but whatever, you know, that's the myth. But you get, you know, well, you go, you, it, you if come you haven't, back, it's in you, your future. You come back to wherever <laughs> you need to go back to and kill your nemesis. Who's your nemesis, Jake? Who is your nemesis? No, you don't kill your nemesis. No, You've you already done them. that. You heal. You them. come back and you provide <laughs> the community in which you embed yourself in with the services or the knowledge that you have gained. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah that's like the yeah. that's like the Harriet Tubman story, right? That's kind of like go and return and liberate the people. Go and yes, yeah. it's well, Luke Skywalker's yeah. story too. I mean, Joseph, Joseph Campbell oh, coined it, the so. hero's yeah, journey, yeah, and, totally. and classified all these things and all the stories and all the time. And um, one of the things that uh, I, I think we talked about this on Turn Me On, I, I, at least I, we for sure touched on it a little bit, but uh, we, I know that you do a lot of work in, in the realm of like trauma and anxiety. Yeah. And um, uh, in, on Turn Me On, we were talking, talking about it from like the perspective of how it, how it affects relationships, interpersonal relationships. Um, but one of the things that like I've come to learn uh, specifically through being in a, 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 an intimate relationship with someone who has a history of trauma um, is how fucking wildly physical <clears throat> that um, that mental illness sort of um, uh, presents itself. Like it's it's such a physical mm. illness that and and at, to to the degree at which I'm, I, it's like I knew this. Be you know, I knew that, but I it's like I didn't know how much I didn't know that until until you're in it until you see it until you're witnessing it and brian i know you can speak to this with you know the work that you do with mike and we've had mike on the show and mm. it's like it it is this very uh it's it's a wild thing to witness especially mm. when it's someone who's close to you um what's the like what is and this is a very broad question but like what is what's the science behind that where where is how is how is physical tra how is sorry how is trauma mental trauma why is it showing up in such, why can it show up in such like intense physical ways and literally go on to like affect your physical health? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question because I think in a lot of ways we think that we are just thinking beings and we just think that, you know, we only have this like mental or cognitive capacity. But what we actually know through science and through research is that we are primarily feelings creatures who occasionally think and not the other way around. Um, so we are feelings mm. first creatures, um, and we are also a social species. So to, to, to your point, we have to collapse the bio, the psycho, the social into what is called the biopsychosocial model of mental health, which includes the mind, the body, um, the physiology, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, the, the science of, uh, so this, this area of research is called somatics and this area of practice is called somatic bodywork. Um, mm. so somatic means mind plus body. So any work that you can do to understand the physical manifestations of trauma or the physiology of trauma um, can actually help to release some of the stored and stuck trauma. So do you say we're we're all feelings based, like human beings are feelings based people first? Are you saying we as in like you and Jer and I? Because I don't know about Taylor. Yeah. Taylor's, uh, <laughs> Taylor's, a, Taylor's. I think he just Taylor's thinks what we would register as pragmatic. a psychopath. <laughs> He's just very pragmatic. <laughs> I Is this feel everybody? <laughs> when I feel I need to feel. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what a psychopath would <laughs> <is> say. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you know, I think <laughs> in a lot of ways you think that you know we have a lot more control over our thoughts and our feelings than we actually do. Right. And the truth yeah. is, is that we don't. And 
Um, and, of, and, you know, of course, we also have different personality types and there are, you know, people feel to different degrees. We have really highly sensitive people and then we have people who, you know, who may not feel as intensely, right? And so uh, there is, it's of course a spectrum, but yeah, largely we are feelings first people. Yeah, I'm highly sensitive for sure. I remember, <laughs> I remember I've only, and, 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 you know, I would, I, I I've, I've only ever experienced <clears throat> quite short experiences, uh, like very, very short experiences of anxiety and, and, uh, depression on a couple of, on a couple of occasions. And, and by short, I, I would, I would probably like squeeze those into like at the shortest two weeks <laughs> and at the longest, maybe like two or three months Ooh. and, and like maybe two or three times in my life. And, and it is, it is incredible how physical it is. Like you would, Ooh. because if you don't, if you, especially the, like it took me, we've talked about this on the show before I went to a boarding school for the last two years of high school, um, to play hockey. And I go there and I don't know anybody. And I, and the first three months there, I never knew this until years later, I was for sure going through a period of depression. I was, you know, I, I would get home from school. I would go back to my dorm after school and I would go to sleep and then I would go to hockey and then I would go to practice and then I would come back and I'd go to sleep and I'd wake up. And if I didn't have class, like first thing in the morning, I'd sleep until I had class. And like, I, and I just had no desire to do anything, but like be in my room, be there alone, sleep, sleep whenever I could. And, and it wasn't until years later that I, re- that I realized I was actually doing this show when we first started doing it, that that was depression. But like I would have been, and I was at the time and every other time that I've had that experience, I would be, f- I would fully think that I was sick, mm-hmm. like that I was physically sick, that right. I was, that I had something like, oh, I've got a bug that's not going away. Mm-hmm. Oh, like there's something, you know, oh, it, whenever it's been anxiety, it's like, oh my God, like, is there something in my, like, is there something wrong with my heart? Because my chest feels a certain way and mm-hmm. you get, and it's like, that's, it's incredibly physical and that's it. A, a short period of, you know, something, something that is short and, and, and I don't know what the intensity spectrum where I would go on the intensity spectrum with that, but I don't think very, I don't think that high. And so when you think about, you know, tr- somebody who's been through something that's like really traumatic yeah. and carries that with them all the time, like I, to that point, then can, like, can we talk about some of the, some of the, I guess, the word would be, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like symptoms yeah. that you might see in something like, like I'm starting to learn this vocabulary of things that I never knew before, like, um, like, like flooding or, or like, um, or, um, uh, uh emotional blunting and things like this that, that yes. are, that, yep. are, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm becoming privy to where I'm going, fuck man, I, I have no idea those. that these kinds of things fucking exist. I haven't heard those terms can, before either. Can you kind of like maybe Jake unpack some of the, some of the terms that that folks might not have been aware of, like Brian or myself, that people who are dealing with like uh, dealing with any any variety of PTSD might come up against, or that you might come up against with these folks who are suffering from that, and unbeknownst to yourself. Yes, of course. And you know, I think um, uh, to use the word symptoms, I think is an appropriate term because there are a lot of um, mental health related symptomologies that that do coincide with trauma. Um, and so, you know, I guess, it, I guess the important thing too, and maybe I'll just provide a definition of trauma or at least how I define it, mm. um, just so that we have a frame for, for our discussion. Uh, I define trauma not in the event, but in our response to the event. 
So trauma is anything that is too much, too fast, too soon, and really overwhelms our capacity to cope and release all the stuff that gets stuck and all that really high energy that we retain after mm. um, significant events or um, even just like seemingly mundane events too. We could have a traumatic retention from from those yeah, two. Yeah, right. That's I, a, th- I think that's what's so interesting about that definition is like, is how how subjective that yeah. is, right? Like yes. I'm, I think about yes. you, Tay, getting hit on your bike on a, a you know, you were driving your, a couple of years ago, Taylor was on his bicycle driving, going quite fast and literally got hit like head on by a, a taxi wow. cab and got fucked up pretty badly. Your, you going through that event versus some other people uh, that we know going through that event, like completely would have handled different. that completely mm-hmm. differently mm-hmm. and would mm-hmm. never, you know, like would look at that in a completely different way. Whereas like right down to experiences like, um, like, you know, an event in high school where you were bullied by like one, one other kid and, and that, and that being the thing that like sticks out. Totally. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's, it really is like super, super subjective and it's completely different for everyone. And it was incredible in that time that I did get hit, that I was able to go to a psychologist and, and. And have them give you a, psych- a, 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 a psychopathic diagnosis? Yeah, and he was like, and, I, and, and, and he was like, "Oh my god, you! It's like you never even got hit. <laughs> your you're ability a, to you're cope a psycho, is. you're a psychopath, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. No, but but to explore <laughs> that and to see whether there was trauma or not, and it was the first time that I was that I was that I that I had gone and done that, and it was a really incredible. It was a really incredible experience. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I cut you off there. No, it's all it's all good. It sounds like you you have a pretty strong built-in nervous system and a pretty resilient nervous system to be able to allow you to do that. Because similar to Jeremy, what you're saying, just around like uh, you know, it's so subjective. We could all have a different response to the same events, and so that's also why people you know get raised in the same families and have different responses to mm. to their upbringing, right? And um, <clears throat> So just in terms of, of if that's our definition of trauma that we're working with, it's important to also really define kind of like what are some of those other mental health symptoms. So, um, and maybe I'll just start with anxiety because it's, it's one of the most common ones. Sure. Um, Anxiety, uh, what we know through decades of research is that it is systematic, meaning that it, it follows the same system every single time. And what we also know about anxiety is that it's rooted in fears and worries. And so if it's, if there's no fears or worries attached to it, then it's likely not anxiety. So that's, Kind of mm. rule rule number one, and really really important to to label about anxiety. Um, and so the the system of anxiety only has three steps, um, and the physiological response is step number one. So all those physiological reactions that come, such as like sweating, heart racing fast, um, maybe your chest gets tight, mm. um, maybe your face goes red, um, that is uh, the physiological response from anxiety. The second is that we notice those physiological responses and declare that we are anxious. So as soon as we notice that we're anxious, then step three floods in, which is the thoughts. So the anxious thought spiral of, oh no, now I'm anxious and now I'm here. Mm-hmm. So that's like the the three step kind of system of anxiety. And How we fucking can trippy inter- is that that it that it physically kicks in before you even acknowledge it. You know, yeah. like that the body yeah. is just like, yeah, okay, here we go. Like yep. buckle up. Do you remember if you've been on a night walk with Jim? Have Have you yep. been on a night walk? You've been on a night walk walk with Jim. And sorry, just to to fill you in, Jake, this is like a this is like a retreat place that is mm. uh, outside of town. It's got a lot of roots. The got the people who run it are like these incredible, um, you know, seventy like late seventies, maybe even early eighties now. People that came from the U.S. to Nova Scotia when there was like a huge 
Buddhist migration from the U.S. to Nova Scotia. And they run this retreat place. And it's very, I don't know, it's very soulful. And there's like a lot of attention to the earth and all this. Anyway, we go in the these- The energy is very The energy is very, there. very palpable yeah. there. So we go in wow. these night. This guy, the, the guy who runs it, uh, his name is Jim. He takes, uh, when you stay there, you can go on a night walk with him where you go out and you explore this forest and it's completely untouched old growth forest. It's super And cool. you can walk through and you go through pitch black, no lights, no nothing. And the whole idea is that you are feeling and sensing and you are taking your eyes out of the equation and you are, you are, you are interpreting the world around you through your ears and through the way that your feet touch the ground and the sounds that are made and all this stuff. And before you go there, he talks a lot about fear. And he mm. talks a lot about, you know, the absence of our eyesight and the f- potential fear that could ri- arise from that. And the, what made me think of that, Jared, when you said that it's crazy that it comes up in your body because that's always one of his instructions. He goes, I want you to notice the fear that you, the fear that you realize is in your brain will happen in your body first. Mm. And it will always happen there first. And if you can notice that, that it's there first, then when you conceptualize it, then do you, then that's your opportunity to to deal with it. But it's going to show that's up it. somewhere in your body first. Hmm. That's so interesting because whenever I feel anxious, like that tightness in my chest is very, very, very like it. I it's funny because I don't remember feeling it as a kid, and like only in the last few years did I start to feel it, and it's so visceral, like it's so yeah. profoundly there. And as soon as I notice it, I go, oh, fuck, I'm anxious. And then like, <laughs> then it starts like, it's like hearing you and say that it's the first time I've realized that. that. Yeah. It's the first time I've thought of it that way. And part of the, part of the reason for that is because our brain actually doesn't stop developing until we're between like 25 and 30. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as soon as our brain is actually fully formed, that kind of sets in all of our, you know, coping strategies, all of our mechanisms, all of our survival responses, all that, all the ways we handle stress, that kind of thing. And so, you know, it is around like, you know, older, uh, or sorry, a younger adulthood that, that we start to form all those mm. responses. Yeah. Well, that's crazy. So my feeling of anxiety is like the icing on the cake of me, like form, like my brain forming. It's like, oh, by the way, like in the last year, here you go. Here's some anxiety. That's just going to be this way that you experience these fears. You you mentioned growth. And I think this is probably a really good time to also talk about one of the other manifestations of trauma, which is stress. Um, There's a big difference between stress and anxiety and people often don't aren't able to recognize what the difference is. So as I was saying before, anxiety is really about fear rooted in fear. Whereas stress is about, um, growth and adaptation. So anytime like you put your body under stress, the, the, the goal of it is for your body to grow and to change. So just as like when you go to the gym, you're working out, you put your body, your muscles under stress in order for them to grow and change. And so a natural, um, part of, of the growth cycle is discomfort, right? It's, um, it's not easy and not comfortable to go through that. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, it's important to, to recognize that although, um, anxiety is super predictable. We know the system of anxiety. Stress is not predictable because it is erratic. It is not Mm. systematic. So it's different for everybody and shows up different for everyone. And so this moment mm. of like the pandemic represents a big stressor for us and a big point of stress. Mm. Yeah. And you, fuck man. And like, you're seeing it, like you're seeing how erratic and, and intense it is for folks 
Yeah. Like on a daily basis. So, so it's, it's fucking wild. But there's, there's, so there is good stress. And then, it, like, I guess, can you define it that way? Can you say that there's good stress and there's bad stress? And, like, how do we. Or does how, stress go to. Or anxiety? is stress stress? Is stress evolved? Is stress just stress? Or is stress just stress? <laughs> and then it's like, it's, it's up to you. It's, a, <laughs> it's up to you to decide whether it's good or, or not to you to decide, but like, it, you're kind of at its whim and it becomes good or bad depending on how you, you react to it. It's a good point. And I think to some extent, like mindset does matter around um, how we frame the stress. Mm. Um, but I think, uh, uh, you know, it does, it does matter how we classify stress, which is that it's on a spectrum. So there, there can be forms of stress that are really healthy for us and to get us mobilizing, to get us moving, to get us, uh, um, you know, I don't know how many of you also anticipate that, like the feeling of stress or adrenaline that you get when you have to like go perform or go like be in front of people. Like that is there to mobilize you and get you moving and get you activated. And so um, there is an element of stress that is healthy. Mm. It becomes unhealthy when stress is chronic. So chronic stress is when we have uninterrupted stress. So stress without a break. And that is the pandemic. It is an uninterrupted stress. stress uh, Chronic stress, really long term, codes as trauma in the body. That's Mm. the connection there. Mm -hmm. And is that just like, because I'm thinking of... And is that something that in, 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 you know, for example, in work that you do, like if you were talking to somebody who, who is like stressed, you know, stressed to the limit all the time, like trying to teach that person to develop like an on off switch. Cause I completely, I completely, when you say that, and I've, and I've always kind of framed stress in a good way because of that. And like from a physical standpoint and from a mental standpoint, like yesterday I had I just had this thing that I really want to work on and it's not that time sensitive, but I really want to work on it. And it, I can tell that it was like giving me stress, but that stress was motivating me to get it done. Yep. And then as soon as I was went home or as soon as we started recording yesterday, it's like, that's done. Yeah. It's off today that like I can, I'll switch that back on, on Thursday. And so like physiologically, and- I, there, there actually is no on off switch. So what you're actually referring to is the gas pedal or the brake, right? Mm-hmm. Either you're going to be like, pedal to the metal. I'm going to just grind. I'm going to get it done. Or you're like, I mean, I need to put on the brake here. I need to like slow down. I need to rest. I need to just like, uh, you know, put things at ease for a second. So it's more like gas pedal and brake um, because it is, it's a bit more of, you know, you can have both of them at the same time, if that makes sense. Mm. So what's the deal with those, um, the, that picture that I always saw on the internet with like the mountains in the background, it's like very high contrast or very low contrast. It's like sort of like faded and looks like you're looking through clouds and there's cursive writing and it says like, you know, uh, don't feel stressed. Feel pressure because my, pressure makes diamonds. Page? <laughs> <laughs> don't feel stressed. Feel blessed. <laughs> don't feel stressed. Feel pressure because pressure makes diamonds. No stress. Oh, you're just, a diamond. Just so what? What's up with that shit? Is there a difference between stress and pressure, or like, is it just somebody just trying to fucking make people who feel uh, like they're burning out feel better, but it's not helping? <laughs> Listen, like as someone who like you know, someone called me like uh, an influencer the other day as a content creator of <laughs> mental health content and it just thought leader me, oh barf. so i just get so exhausted by all this like wellness jargon and garbage mm, yeah. around there and so you know part of me like writing mental health content is also about like putting you know 
content that I want to see and not all that kind of bullshit, fluffy, live, laugh, love stuff. But yeah. um, right. at you do got to live, laugh and love though. You, know? <laughs> you, you do. Absolutely. You do. <laughs> Guys, yeah, at its core. Hey, cliches are cliches. <laughs> love reason. All day. Yeah. yeah I, YOLO. I, <laughs> I, I just think it's important that people have the correct information, but at the Ooh. same time, I think that a lot of it can also come into the territory of what is called bypassing where we are just sort of doing the whole Think positively. Oh, don't mm. worry. Don't look at the hard things and that'll make them go away. Mm, we just yeah. know that like, that's not how it works. I, I do that with video games. I bypass yeah. with video games. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I also have a healthy relationship with the video games, but I will notice when things get really intense, my video game playing like ramps up and that's when I go, oh, oh. No, no, yep, you're just. That's a good thing to know as your friend. Oh, hey, if you're constantly asking to play video games, hey, you okay? (laughs) Check in. You know, um, there there was was, uh, something that I wanted to to throw in there because I feel like it it was an important learning for me at one point where I was at this, um, where I was at this, uh, I was at a yoga training and we were talking, we were talking about stress. We're talking about, um, and I, I feel like we were, I feel like we were kind of right in this kind of this sort of wheelhouse where we were talking about um, the benefit of having stress in your life. And at this point, I was like, I was re- I had really been on the track for a few years of like having zero worry, zero stress, like yeah. z- just like like totally, and not, and I don't mean that in like a in in like a like a like a, uh, a self masturbatory way. Like, I mean, in like a, in like a, in like, I would just wasn't, I just wasn't, I was very level. Like I didn't have any fluctuation up or down. And, um, and I remember asking a person who was doing this presentation, I was like, is it, I feel like the lack of stress in my life is ultimately a really bad thing because in the very small moments where I do, where I do get stressed, which were like very far and few between, it was, it was, I was unable to handle it. Like just like fully unable to handle it. Like any, like a, like a little bit of stress was a meltdown for me because I just was so not used to experiencing it. Mm. And so it like, it kind of triggered me to be like, I need to be in I need to indulge in some more stress because is that when you started eating gravel? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, that was, I was a fucking like, weird. I was like, my teeth was, are yeah. too soft. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, need I to, remember that. Need to harden yeah. up my enamel. I, I got I, gnarly for a bit. I, feel I was like, like, yo, you need to cool it. With the fuck? I feel like I'm a, I'm, I'm a backo, or I was a backo in a past life. And <laughs> is are we are we like to that point, Jake? Are we are is does does Tay have a point there in that like? We kind of do need stress or, or are we beings that like when there is no stress, we search for it in places where it may not like we search for it like innately. We are by naturally eating by eating gravel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we, we are naturally uh, an adaptive species. So like we we mm. need it's not that necessarily we need stress, although I would argue that we do. Um, it's that like we are actually fully capable of, of really processing and releasing a lot of the stress that we naturally carry because of life is hard and life is traumatic and life is often shit. Yeah. Um, often. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting because like, I, I feel like people oftentimes talk about like, you know, like think of like, we're, we're human beings. Like think of, think of the world that we live in now compared to a couple thousand years ago and how different it is and how we don't live like biologically like we should. Like we used to take 
naps in the afternoon all the time. And now it's just go, go, go. And we used to sleep for 10 hours a day. And now we're <laughs> sleeping for four because we've got three jobs that we're trying to work. And, and people always talk about this idea of like, think about how we should be versus how we are. But like yeah. the reality is, is that the world is this way now. So like mm. it, it's I, that way because it's naturally like that because we're natural and we fucking made it that way. <laughs> yeah, which is true. Yeah, yeah, right. we did. We, and we so it's, it's a good point you bring up because they think a lot of what therapy is, is helping people adjust to that life, right? Or to the life that they want or to the life that they um, wish that they had, that kind of thing, right? And so a lot of, the, a lot of therapy is about adjusting mm. to... Mm. My biggest can I my, can I throw a curveball in here? Sure. Just like curve it up. Bro. I was gonna say. I let me just uh, add one thought before you shift gears a little yeah. bit because I was just gonna say that I think that the biggest thing for me that has come out of therapy is the realization of how impactful even small events in my life can be. Like I, dude, I think yeah, man. I think back to like one of the first things that I talked about in therapy was. Um, I don't even know how we ended up getting there, but we're, we were talking about like the first relationship I had as like a 14 year old. And I was like, Oh, I think as a 14 year old, I think I'm in love with this person. And then like, and then like the relationship doesn't work out. Like we didn't hold hands or something. And, and, and my therapist Class. was that asking changed me your about life like, forever, dude. My therapist was asking me about like, how did you cope with that breakup? And I was like, I don't really, I don't know if I I don't know if I did. Like, I don't even know if I would call it a breakup. And I was, I was thinking about it. And she was like, well, who was there with you? And who were you, who did you talk about this with? And I was like, yeah, when I think back of that, I, I, I dealt with it on my own. And then I was thinking about all these things and like how, like, oh, when like, you know, this is when you're learning about talking about your emotions and opening up to people and sharing this, this, these experiences with your friends and, you know, you went recognizing how relationships work, totally recognizing how to properly love, how to, how to, yeah. Like what these things mean. And so like, it's, it's not that like, these are, these are, it's funny because like my therapist doesn't know that that experience happened. So for whatever reason, I brought that experience up and was talking about it. So it's, it's had some type of impact in my life. And I first went to therapy thinking, I don't have anything specific that I want to talk about. I'm just doing this because you know, I've talked to enough therapists on the podcast now that I know it's an important thing to do and I should be doing this. So I started to do it and I was so, I'm so impressed with like all of the doors and paths that we've gone through and opened up and like the things that I've found out and learned. And my therapist put it in a really, in a really um, good way for me where she gave me this like analogy that um, all of my past experiences are like these sheets of papers. And when you have these experiences um, and they're positive and you're able to process them fully. It's like you fold up that piece of paper and neatly file it away. But when you go through trauma, it's like that paper is a little bit crinkled up. And so what we're doing is we're going back to these experiences. We're pulling them back out. We're smoothening the page out and then we're trying to fold it back up and file it away a little bit better so that you can more easily process that and Ooh. deal with it when it comes up again. And those And those experiences and feelings that are associated with that then start to make more sense as a whole. And like when she said that to me, I was like, holy shit, like this is, that's a really profound way of thinking about things. And it makes so much sense. And since looking at my life like that as this like whole um, like book of experiences and pieces of paper that are like all folded up it, it's it's like now my goal to go back and like sift through those and figure out what's causing these creases or crinkles and so i guess the question for jake then is should brian get a new therapist 
<laughs> well, I was actually just going to say that was probably one of like the best ads for therapy. Like, I, yeah, yeah. I think you like really did like summarize like really what what the process is meant to be about and what it can be about. And that's for me, it's it's largely actually, um, and we actually know this through research, but the, the number one predictor of success in therapy is the relationship that you have with your mm-hmm. therapist. Mm-hmm. It's not what kind of funky like. Um, approaches people use or the modalities that people choose it's really about the relationship and about mm. how how you can repattern your nervous system through a, a new felt experience with someone else so mm. it is fascinating that way it, like in in the in the way that you know like with mental health or with therapy you are like that relationship is so i mean we've talked to you know a countless amount of people that have that you know go oh he took me you know, one, two, three, four, five experiences with therapists before, you know, I found the person and, you know, and, 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 and I, and I'm sure that there are countless people out there who, you know, the fourth person would have been great, but they just, they got disheartened and they got discouraged and they never, they never get there. But that, you know, with, when it comes to physical stuff, it's like that relationship isn't, I mean, a good, you know, having a good relationship with a, with, you know, a, a, you know, a doc is, is helpful, but like, if they can treat you right, that person can be an asshole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. like if they can if they can set your bone or if they can prescribe you the right, you know, medication that's going to, you know, fix that ish that right. hard doesn't issue. Doesn't matter or if they're a dick. Doesn't matter if they're an asshole. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's it's yeah, I mean it does. But <laughs> it does. But it does. I totally get your does. Point, it's not for the treatment. Not the same. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um <laughs> I, I do want to add um and uh, while we're while while we are plugging therapy, um a lot of people so I've been posting a lot about uh, my experience going through therapy on my Instagram and and I, I'm surprised with how many people reach out and ask questions about it and and one of the questions I get a lot is, how did you find your therapist? And somebody recommended the website psychologytoday.com for me. And you can go and you can search your area for therapists. And you can, there's like filters for different criteria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like I it's kind of amazing. like came yeah. up with this like this like set of filters in my mind of like who the right too, person actually, yeah. would be for me. And and it was perfect. Like it worked really well. And you can go on and book like a lot of like 30 to 60 minute free consultations where you can go and talk to somebody for Oh, you're going to say therapists that are between the ages of 30 and 60. Yeah. I was like, well, <laughs> you can, yeah. can filter by age. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. Uh, Jake, I, I want to, I want to ask you, uh, and, and maybe this isn't your wheelhouse, but, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And this is something that's come up on the podcast you know, somewhat recently and, and in discussion sort of, uh, personally as well. Um, what are your, what are your, what are, can you, can you dive in a, a little bit into explaining how inter intergenerational trauma works? And, and like, is there, do you know much of the science behind intergenerational trauma and like what's kind of coming out right now in the, in the literature about, about that and how it works? Mm-hmm. Is it, is this your curveball? Is this, this is the curveball. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, 
Okay. Well, um, yeah. How, cur- sure. how, cur- how curvy was that? On a scale, <laughs> on a scale of one to ten. I would say it's not so curvy. It's pretty much my wheelhouse. But. <laughs> All right, sweet. You know, I'm going to throw another curveball here. Let's talk about Pornhub for a minute. <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> that's also my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, intergenerational trauma is when trauma gets passed down through generations, and really, kind of on the whole. Uh, pain travels through families until someone is ready to feel it or someone is ready to heal it. Um, And we know that that is documented and backed by years and years and years of research. But um, mainly uh, what we've linked it down to is something called epigenetics. Uh, Epigenetics is really about, actually kind of the way that someone explained it to me really made a lot of sense in the sense that um, our environment turns on different parts of our genes so that mm. different parts of them kind of show up or get expressed mm. um, in our life. And so, you know, the, the, the debate kind of around like nature, is it nature or is it nurture? Mm. What we know is that it's actually both. And it's really just a question of to what extent um, are the epigenetic links about nature or nurture mm. uh, being made. So um, nature is really kind of about the biology, so the epigenetic component. And then uh, nurture is more kind of about like the social, environmental, or like the relational component. So um, in in issues of, for example, like systemic racism, we know that um, all of that trauma gets passed down through generations as well. Um, mm. And so there are multiple, multiple links uh, that, can, that can be made here. But for the most part, um, it shows up like right in, in our genes to the extent that different elements get expressed um, as we kind of grow up. Mm. Um, How do you, mm. it, I just want to just like clarify, clarify there because this is a thought and I feel like you answered it there, but I just want to be like, I yeah. just want to kind of clear it. Like, so the, 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 the trauma that's being passed down, it's both coming, th- like it's both coming through genetically and it's also coming through in the way that like, you know, like you, you have a kid and it's You're, coming through genetically, but it's also coming through environmentally because yeah. of the way that that trauma has affected the person that then affects, you know, an example, their, their parenting style an or whatever. An example for that, this actually just came up on Turn Me On, which, which made me think about intergenerational trauma and and think about looking at it from this vantage point from the nurture side of things, but then also made me kind of wonder about the nature side of things. But from the nurture side of things, we we spoke to this woman, Laura Zam, and she she really didn't have much of like she's an older woman now. She's like in her in her fifties, fifties or sixties. Um, older, and when I say older, I mean like older than me. Um, and and she she had like a she she didn't really like have her sexual awakening until she was like in her late forties. Like she had, she had never really had enjoyable sex, like wasn't really having sex at all anyway. And she goes into explaining what her upbringing was surrounding her views on sexuality and her, her like sexual education came from her mother who was a Holocaust survivor who her sexual relationship, her relation to sexuality Mm. in her, in her, years of of like blossoming were in the camps where it was a very transactional setup mm. and so she used sex as a as a as a way of survival right wow and so of course now she has a child and she teaches her child about being a sexual being in the world with this Backdrop. this background knowledge yeah. this background experience of sex being a very transactional and like do do or die situation type thing. And 
And, and so of course that's going to, you know, have an effect on the way that Laura goes about viewing sexuality as a, as a being in, in the world. But then this notion of like how that, exp- how that changes, I mean, you know, not, not to like speak f- for Laura, but how that could potentially change the way that Laura's genes express. Mm. That's the thing where I'm like, whoa, that is some fucking yeah. mind blowing shit. Because the, nur- the nurture part is, e- is that easy. That makes to a lot of sense. It's easy to understand. Yeah. The other part is yeah. harder. How yeah. does, how does, do you, like, what does that mean? Like, what do we know what that means? Is there, is there, a, is there a link to genetic expression and, you know, prevalency for depression or, or anxiety? Like, like are those things linked that closely? Yeah. The link is really kind of just about like um, uh, the ways that the switches get turned on and off. Right. Mm. So let's say for example, like um, in your family, if you have a predisposition for let's say like family mental health issues, sometimes the environment can turn on that switch for depression or sometimes right. the environment can turn on that switch for like health issues, for example. Right. Um, so it's more than just mental health. Let's be clear. Right. Um, it's really just about the ways that, that the, genes interact with the environment so it's actually the interaction of both of them not the two of them separately let's say but you made a good point earlier about like the parenting style that's another way that relational trauma gets Mm -hmm. passed down through generations and think about like you know the ways that our family members generations upon generations of family members had to cope and survive and and deal with their feelings right all that gets passed down it all comes with you yeah Mm -hmm. i mean we've talked a lot about we've talked a lot about like met like met we've it's been a, a kind of a <clears throat> a through line through the podcast is like how you know men have grown up over yes. the past few the past number of generations and how we're kind of like seeing this transition now from you know like bottle it up and hold it in yeah, to vulnerability yeah, is, is a weakness and, yeah. and 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 kind of transitioning into like it's healthy to be yeah. emotional and to Ooh. share your Ooh. feelings and to talk about how you feel and like how that is like you know kind of in its like in this Trans transitional phase right now, um, and and we're all the better for it. Ooh. Jake, I'm I'm really curious about how like going back to my uh, the the analogy that my therapist used about like these folded pieces of papers as these experiences that you have when it comes to intergenerational trauma. If you don't have that's those, not your paper. If you don't have yeah, like <laughs> yeah. if like where do you where do you how, get the paper from? How do you go back and and work? Yeah, like where. What, what, do you have to go to a library? Like, how does yeah, this? Yeah. Work? This is where the analogy breaks <laughs> <Yeah>. down. <laughs> well, it's well, it's interesting. I think, like, really to, to kind of go off that analogy, it's really to say that maybe the filing cabinet it's either in a different drawer, or it's in a different office, right? Mm-hmm. And so it really is about like using that you know that filing system as a way of unearthing where is this linked to and what does this come from? Mm-hmm. And so uh, really, it's about. At any moment, you can disrupt trauma by being a, what would be called a cycle breaker, someone who can come in and interrupt that cycle and start a new one. So really, like trauma work is about starting new patterns so that you can pass down new patterns to future generations. Mm-hmm. How do you understand the the intergenerational trauma? Like if, if we think of like the uh, example of residential schools um, <clears throat> and, and the, the effect on the indigenous community, um, how like if the person wasn't actually there to experience that experience, but the intergenerational trauma still exists, like in therapy, how do you start to, to treat that and help somebody understand how that's showing up in their lives? It's such a good question, you know, and because I think part of what it, what it requires is a recognition of the fact that it, it shows up in many different uh, 
ways in many different areas. So it just requires that we look for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've talked today a lot about, you know, the individual manifestations of what trauma can show up as intergenerationally or, or otherwise, but it also shows up in families. It shows up in workplaces. It shows up in culture. It mm-hmm. shows up in, and so when we decontextualize a lot of those things, it just looks like, oh, well, this is the way the world is, or, oh, this is the way my family is. Aren't they crazy? Um, but really when you kind of put everything in a historical context, you can actually start to track all those patterns and just see how interwoven it is. And you look at, um, something, um, like the legacy of colonization and the impacts on that, that a, a huge historical trauma like residential schools has had on its indigenous folks. You can actually start to really make those links really clear and you see where those connections are. And the truth is that those connections exist for every single person. It just, mm. it's really blatantly obvious with indigenous community. Mm. I, I, we're, we're coming up to time here, but before we, before we do wrap, I, I guess one last thing that I would, I would like, just because we have you here and, and I think it would be beneficial at least for, for the three of us. And, and if not, you know, the thousands of other people that are listening. What are we doing? Right group therapy? Uh, uh, no, uh, I, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess kind of like, you know, we're, we're vaccines are being rolled out across the country. Um, fingers crossed that that is a good thing. And we start to see things, uh, we start to see things sort of slow down in the terms of, of infection rates and, and, and COVID sort of, you know, taking such a hold on our lives. As we start to like get back into some semblance of life, post pandemic knowing that we've gone through a, a global communal traumatic stress stress inducing stressor uh together like what are what are some things that we can kind of keep in our back pocket to remember for when it comes to trying to reintegrate back into life after going through something that's just been you know so fucked up and so mind blowing yeah, I think it's it's a really broad question, but it's a good question because I think in any case, we we are going to have to find ways to repattern a lot of the ways that our nervous system has just adjusted to this collective trauma that we've experienced. Um, and so if we take kind of the, the roadmap and use stress as, as kind of the roadmap here, I think interrupting patterns of chronic stress is really, really hard because what we're actually experiencing right now is, is these huge patterns of collective burnout. Um, right. And so I think a lot of our reintroduction will have to mimic or mirror a lot of what it means to heal from burnout. So it's going to take a lot more of, a, of a, an intentional break, um, intentional um, forms of rest mm-hmm. and recovery from like this major disruption that we've had. And part of the main features of burnout actually are that um, it's persistent um, and ongoing kind of stress, but it, you don't get a break from it, right? And so finding ways of kind of really taking care of ourselves intentionally is obviously, is always going to be good for us, but especially uh, now. Um, I would say that really paying attention to our, like the social impacts is going to be important. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but I like, you know, having conversations in public, like just feel like such an added layer of like heightened kind of like stress and anxiety on top of it. And it just feels like we're going to really have to, readjust some of our scripts for interacting Mm. with one another so that's something to kind of keep in in the back of our mind in our back pocket Mm. and i guess the last thing is that um is just really being mindful of relationships and being mindful of community like we just really need each other and we we are not meant to be socially isolated species we Mm. we need each other and and we have to rely on the people that are close to us in order to make it work 
Jake, man, love love getting to chat with you. Uh, so glad that we got to introduce our audience to you and the work that you do. Uh, yeah. Speaking of that, how can people keep up with Jake Ernst and uh, and uh, let everyone know again uh, all about this isn't therapy? Yeah, cool. So this isn't therapy uh, is uh, one of uh, my passion projects right now. It started. It was birthed in the pandemic, actually, and it started out of the need for us to really talk about um, all the things that kind of happen in therapy. Um, and to really destigmatize conversations about mental health. And so each episode is about a different topic that comes up in therapy. And so Simon, who's a filmmaker and myself, a therapist, uh, kind of what brings us together is that we both kind of are really interested in stories. So we actually use storytelling as a way of kind of really opening up those conversations. And so, um, yeah, it's a really, really good time. You can join us over at This Isn't Therapy. And we it's called This Isn't Therapy because often people sort of say, um, oh, like, it's kind of like I'm listening to my own therapy session, but like, you may find it therapeutic, but it certainly is not. You're, I'm not clear. I make that really clear. I make that really, um, I'm glad yeah. you made that clear because Brian, like, I could see Brian just like, like I can see it in his skin. Well, I was like, just oh, wondering, I have like, a new, another new therapist. I was wondering if you were going to send me an invoice after <laughs> yes, this. Yeah, right. <laughs> I can if you want. I mean, I'm, always, I'm always collecting my coins. Yeah, so. never opposed to sending invoices. <laughs> anyway, you can you can find us at this in therapy and also um, on my Instagram page at MSWJ. Sweet. Thank you very much, Jake. This has been very fun, man. Yes, yeah, yeah. thank Thanks, you. guys. That is it for today. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, make sure that you share our podcast with your friends. We love those extra ears. Sick Boy Podcast is a Snack Labs production. It is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery. Brian Stever, and Lauren Sankey. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. The music of the show is from our friend Rich O'Coin. And Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.